Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church Podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. A reminder that if you want to watch the entire service, our services are available on our YouTube channel linked in the podcast notes. We would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available, and you can do this using your favorite podcasting app. We would love it if you would help to support the missions and ministries here at Beach Grove through your tithes and your offerings. A donation link is also linked in the notes below. And lastly, find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others. scripture lesson this morning comes to us from Mark, and if you will stand with me if you are able, it can be found on page 812 if you would like to follow along in your pew Bible. This is the gospel according to Mark. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and people from the whole Judean countryside And all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending down like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. That through your word for us this day, we would continue in our love and grace for you. That we would hear your voice in our lives, guiding us in your ways. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. In the beginning, right? That's how the, that's how the book of Genesis begins right there in Genesis 1, 1. We read this beautiful opening story as we look and see the first story of creation of God's good works, right? We see the six days where God creates and God makes and God fashions all of these things. And what do we hear after each day that God saw that it was good, Right and as we move from Genesis 1 in this grand creation story of the seven days of creation, we move into this second story of creation and we look at God's creation of humanity and we see God create Adam. And then what happens? We see not what we saw in the first story of creation, right? We don't see that it is good. We see that it's not good. This idea of not good enters the scene 
And I'm not talking about the the eating of the fruit. I'm not talking about the first sin. The first time we hear not good is right there at the beginning of the story. When we see that man is lonely. And beginning to work into our minds is this idea of good, not good. And we see this nature of loneliness and God's relationship with humanity and humanity's relationship with one another. God seeks to make good and looks towards this nature of relationship. And so what does God do? God creates woman, Adama, in the Hebrew. And it is this sense of community, this sense of togetherness, this sense of relationship between man, woman, and God, humanity, and God, that begins to set the foundation for what we will look at as what God finds pleasurable, right? God's pleasure in humanity becomes part of the relationship that God has with all of creation. God invests in humanity, not only through the act of creation, not only through the act of life, but through the act of love, care, and compassion as humans seek to live within this creation that God has given to us, that God has entrusted to us. And it's this essence of grace that is instilled within humanity in both of these creation stories that we begin to look to as what it means for us to begin to see a relationship with God. And it's in breaking down of this love between God and humanity that begins to help us to understand what this role of grace looks like in our lives. Right? We explored during Christmas this narrative that Christ comes to fulfill this reconciling nature between us and God. Right? The story of Scripture is oftentimes one of God-loving humanity, God-loving creation, and oftentimes creation or humanity turning its back, rebuking God's love. And so what does God do? God sends Jesus To reconcile this nature of love. It happens in multiple ways, right? Christ bears the burden of the worst of humanity, right? Christ bears all of the hatred, all of the vitriol, all of the criticism, all of the judgment that humanity has to offer and takes it to the cross. But Christ also serves as this example of who God is for us, right? There's a reason that during the Christmas season we proclaim Emmanuel, God with us. Because in Christ we see God and we experience the greatest nature of God. And when we read in our gospel text about Jesus, we not only read about this Nazarene who walks around Judea, who walks around Galilee, who marches into Jerusalem, who dies on the cross. We read about a God who loves us so much. Who loved humanity so much. Who was in relationship with all of these different people around him. Who taught. Who had care and compassion for everybody he came into contact with. And so Christ sets this example of what it is meant to be. This relationship between God and humanity. Even when we present our worst. Jesus is right there. Caring for us. And so now we move into this, this ordinary time, right? This, it's just this random bit of time we have between Christmas and Lent. This post-epiphany time, so to say. And as we come off the heels of Christmas and off of Epiphany, 
we begin this march of sorts that ends with Christ on the cross. Right, soon we're going to enter Lent. And we're going to do so recognizing our human nature, the dust from which we come, the dust to which we will return, the ash of the earth. We will march through these 40 days and 40 nights of, of inward devotion and contemplation, ending with that heartache of Holy Week. And we see that this journey to Easter, this journey that takes us through the life of Christ, is one that should be filled with hearing God's voice. And so what are we going to do in this post-Epiphany season, these six-ish weeks between now and when we start Lent on February the 14th? We're going to dive into how God speaks. We're going to dive into some times where God, we hear God's voice in the Bible so that we can discern how we can hear God's voice today. It's not always that easy to hear God's voice. We don't have the, the big booming voice of the Bible sometimes. Sometimes we have to listen a little bit more intently. Sometimes we, we have to hear God's voice more intentionally than sometimes we often give it. And so we're going to look mainly in the Hebrew Scriptures, mainly in the Old Testament, for times where God speaks to God's creation. But to get there, we're going to start in the New Testament. We're going to start with the story of Jesus' baptism. And so we dive into this text in front of us today. And each and every week, we'll, we'll see quotations in our scriptures, right? We'll see some quotations. And sometimes those quotations will be from any number of people. But we're going to focus on the ones that seem to come from God. And so today, the word from God that we have is, You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Find that right there at the end of that scripture passage in your notes. Uh, underline it, circle it, whatever you need to do to note it as God's word for us this day. And so as we look and see it, we have one big question that hits us. Well, at least it hits me in my ponderings. I don't know about you all, but why is God pleased? Right? Jesus hasn't done anything yet. He hasn't gone out and performed any miracles yet. He hasn't taught anything yet. This is literally the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is a 30-year-old man who has learned carpentry as a kid, learned the trade of his father. He has gone through his Jewish ritualizations and roots and learned how to be a good Jew in his time. What has Jesus done to please God at this point in time? Is it because Jesus is his son? Is it because Jesus is the beloved? Is it because of the nature, not of what Jesus has done, but of what God knows Jesus will do? You see, I think it's a combination of each one of these. Right, if we're honest, when we look at this passage, yes. By this point in Jesus' life, Jesus has done probably more than enough to be pleased by God. In fact, in our very first breath, God is pleased with us too. And I can only imagine in the very nature of Christ that God has been pleased with Christ since the very moment of creation. 
But at this point in time, as we look at this story, we see all that has happened, all that is happening and all that will happen. And we see God's proclamation on the life and nature of who Christ is. In that moment of proclamation by God, God looks at who Jesus is as a person and proclaims God's pleasure, God's affirmation of who Christ is and who Christ will be. And so it strikes me as we begin to think about what God is calling upon Jesus in this moment, if we recognize the nature of God's love with it for each and every one of us. What if the words of God here in Mark 1.11, what if they're not just for Christ? What if they're also for each and every one of us as well? What if God is not just calling Christ his son? What if God is not just calling Christ beloved? What if God is not just pleased with Christ? But what if God is pleased with us as well? And what if that is the nature of baptism? Right, this is where the baptism of Christ points us. Baptism, yes, yes, it is an entry into the church. That is, the, that is one of the functions of baptism. But more so, it is an acknowledgement. It is an affirmation of the image that we were created in, right? We were created in God's image. And in baptism, we affirm the work that God has done. And in our baptism, we receive not only the waters of baptism, but we receive the Holy Spirit. And God affirms among each and every one of us who we are. Right? Because baptism is not just a starting point of our life. Baptism is a point in the journey of faith within all of creation. It's an affirmation of God's image, God's goodness across humanity. We are affirming that in God we are created and that we are good. We recognize the way, nature in which what God has created, in which God looks down upon each and every one of us and sees the goodness in us, sees the grace within us. Right? This is also why we practice baptism in community. Because we remember back, what's the not good of creation? The not goodness of creation was loneliness. And so what are we practicing in baptism? We are practicing relationship. Relationship with God. Relationship with Christ. Relationship with one another. And so you see, the problem is, is that when we think of baptism, we think immediately, we must be like Christ. Right? We sometimes take this affirmation of being God's created people and we see it not as an affirmation of who we could be, but we see it as an affirmation of who we need to be right this moment. Instead of recognizing again the assuredness of our salvation, we take baptism as an opportunity to know that God is always with us. 
Right? What happens after Jesus gets baptized? Right? Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan and um, in Mark and in Matthew and Luke. We hear that Jesus then immediately goes out into the wilderness. We hear of Jesus' temptation and then we read of Jesus' ministry and all the work that Jesus does. Right? God knows where we're going. God knows what we're doing God knows where Jesus is going. God knows the good. God knows the bad. God knows the mistakes that Jesus is going to make. And yet still in that time, we recognize the role that Jesus plays for each and every one of us. God's great calling upon creation. How do we know this? Because we look and we see what John proclaims when he proclaims Christ, when he proclaims this baptism, right? John is down in the river Jordan. John has all of these people coming toward him. John has all these people who are coming for repentance. In a lot of ways, repentance for what? And John says, but look, there's one who is greater than I am. He won't just baptize with water, but he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And each and every one of us are going to be in awe of his presence. And each and every one of us through the ministry of this man are going to receive this great and this wonderful blessing. This example of who God is for each and every one of us. It marks a point on our journey. It is a point in which God's relationship with us is affirmed. Right, we look at Christ's journey as he goes around in ministry, as he tells stories, as he witnesses to people. And we begin to see God's affirmation. We begin to see who God is for us as we experience these stories. Right, this work that began with John the Baptist baptizing people in the river welcoming Jesus into the waters of the Jordan. And we see the opening of the heavens, the nature of God to truly meet humanity. And we see this breaking down, this, this, this tearing of the veil as we see in the, in, the, in the Good Friday story. And we see God's connection. It is in this nature that the goodness, the blessedness, the pleasure of God are found, not just in Christ, but across humanity. Jesus is meant to highlight the people of God we are called to be. God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. These are meant to help us to understand God's deep desire to be in relationship with us. Why would God come and be a human? Why would God suffer in the way humans suffer? Why would God experience all of the the bad parts of humanity? Humanity, if God did not love us more than anything we could ever imagine. And so what do we learn here? God looks down upon Jesus, not, not to proclaim that Jesus is special. I mean, Jesus is special. We know that, right? Jesus is special. But when God looks down upon Jesus, when the heavens open up, when the dove comes down, when we hear the voice of God from the heavens, I have baptized you with water But John says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What if this baptism of Christ is meant to show us what the baptism of the Holy Spirit truly looks like? What if the mark of baptism by the Spirit is the affirmation of this blessing of God? In Christ's baptism, right, we see the dove come down. We hear this voice in proclamation. What if in our baptism, 
We too hear that proclamation. What if God is telling us when we are baptized, you are my child, you are beloved, with you I am well pleased. Why? Because God knows who each and every one of us will be. God is pleased with us, not because of where we've been, but because of where we're going. Just like Christ, God knows what we are capable of. God knows what the Spirit of Christ dwelling within each of us. That God is pleased with who we can become when we enter that process of sanctification when we become assured of our salvation, when we know the work that God is doing within us. We affirm the grace that is present in our lives with baptism. It's a part of our journey of faith. It instills this nature within each and every one of us. Right? What brings us forward to the waters of baptism is recognizing what has been there. Recognizing the work that God has done. That God can take each and every one of us and God can see within us the goodness of who we are. You are my child. You are beloved. With you I'm well pleased. Right, today we're going to remember our baptisms. If you've, if you've been baptized, this will be a remembrance of baptism. And, and we hear within it this acknowledgement from God. Right? In the Methodist church, we don't practice rebaptisms. Right? We believe that God is the actor in baptism. And so if we, if we rebaptize someone, we're naming that God did something wrong. Instead, we remember our baptism. We remember back to that day when the waters rushed over us. Or we were immersed in the waters, however you were baptized. We are reminded of God's affirmation. We experience yet again the great grace that God showers upon us. And we hear faithfully those words again, you are my child. You are beloved. And with you, I am well pleased. Why? Because it is in the affirmation of who God knows we can be. That we live according to the grace that God offers each of us. And you know what? If you haven't been baptized yet, that's fine. That's cool. Come and talk to me if you are interested in being baptized. Know that God already loves you. Know that God is already working within you. That God's grace is already present in your lives. Know that you are already a child of God. Know that you are beloved. And know that God is pleased with you. And we would love to see you come to receive the waters of baptism yourself. To be celebrated in this community for the work that God is doing through each and every one of us. Each of us has this connection. Hear God's word today. You are God's children. You are beloved. God is pleased with each and every one of us. Amen. Amen.